Hey, welcome to Homebound Veterans Season 4, Episode 19. I'm Keith. I'm Laura. Happy Veterans Day. Today is Thursday, November 11th. 2021. Veterans Day. And for those of you who have served or are serving, and those of you who support those who have served and are serving, we salute you. Thank you for your service. It is nothing minor the act of service, no matter the role or the job. It is something not many people sign up uh, to do and participate in, and those that do, we are grateful for. Absolutely. You may or may not know this, but Laura and I recently moved up to the mountains. The bears. Eagles. And bots. What's a bot? Big old trees. And there are some big old trees. Incredibly big old trees. We hug them. It's so cool. There are literally eagles just down the street from us. Large eagles in a nest. We check on them regularly. And a bear visited our neighbor just the other night. We were sleeping, but their camera caught it on TV. (laughs) (laughs) What do you call that? Caught it on camera. (laughs) It caught it simply through its trash. It It caught it. And, uh, And that's the deal. But you know what? What's amazing is... Um, we go on hikes. We're literally just walking around the neighborhood. We breathe deeper. We just sleep better. It's the, you know, I don't know if I sleep better. <laughs> I don't know if I do, but I don't sleep great down at sea level either. So whatever. But we really like life is nice here. The the air is clean. It's calm. It's quiet. Um, there is such value in being in nature. And in this episode, episode 19, we got to sit down with Aaron Leonard and Lornette Vestal from Sierra Club Military Outreach Program. And we talked to them about their program that they have, um, their initiative, to make sure that every vet and their family has the opportunity to connect with nature in a way that is not only healing, but restorative uh, for generations to come. Yeah, and the Sierra Club, in general, their uh, goal is to provide access to everybody in the country to the outdoors Um, and there's two pronged one is access and two is protecting the Mm -hmm. environment Um, which we want more bots out there Mm -hmm. we want more eagles we want more bears we want people to be able to come out and enjoy that Uh, so we love what Sierra Club Military Outreach Program is doing we we got to start off this episode talking about their favorite activities. Enjoy this episode with Aaron and Lornette. Uh, my favorite thing is whitewater rafting. It's, it's always a blast, whether I do it for a river, go down the river for a week, or I go down the river for an afternoon in down in Columbus, Georgia. Um, it's always a fun time. I have never been. I would love to join you someday. Yep. Aaron, how about you? You know, you know I have... I have conflicts trying to answer that question. So I'll go with the easy one. <laughs> my, my favorite activity is to go into uh, southwest U.S. or north central Mexico in the deserts out there and just hike out into remote areas, stay the night, stare at the stars. What's the scariest experience you've had outdoors? You're like, I did not expect to survive that. <laughs> oh. So there's three types of fun. Outdoors. <laughs> I love Have it. You heard this? No. No. So class one fun is is what you want your kids to experience. Everybody's happy. Uh, class two fun is uh, that was pretty rough. I feel pretty good. I wouldn't want to have to do that again right now, but I would if I had to. So maybe like climbing up the third or fourth steep climb of the day on a backpacking trip. Um, class three fun is I can't believe I survived. <laughs> and I'll never do that again. And I had one this, uh, I had some class three fun this last uh, June. I was leading a trip for my family down the Allagash River, a canoe trip, canoe expedition. So I had four of my kids with me, two of their boyfriends, um, my ex father in law, another story, uh, his son, and then uh, a bunch of canoes on the Allagash River. And we went through a section of rapids, and there's 
the right way and the wrong way to step out of a canoe when the water's running swift. I did it the wrong way. I got my foot wedged Ooh. between the canoe and a rock in, in some pretty fast-moving water. And uh, I am just shocked that my leg is not snapped in half. The amount of pressure that was on my leg at that time was phenomenal, un- unbelievable. But uh, it took three or four of the kids to come over and wrestle a canoe off the top of me, and I was fine. Somehow, that's that's the most recent near death or serious injury experience. And in, in, in that part of Maine, if I had broken my leg, uh, I wouldn't have seen the inside of an ER for maybe five, six, 12 hours. Wow. It could have been life-ending injury. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That is class three fun. <laughs> class three fun. <laughs> uh, how early in the trip did that uh, class three come in? Late, early, middle? Uh, middle of the trip. Okay. Yeah. Good question. Yeah. yeah. How about you, Lornette? <laughs> Um, well, I'm thinking about um, back in 2018, uh, I, we do a trip on the Chattooga. We used to do a trip on the Chattooga River called the Memorial Day River Run. And the outfitter called Natahelly Outdoor Center, the first day they would take us uh, whitewater kayaking. Uh, I like whitewater rafting, um, but kayaking is, is still kind of a challenge to me. Um, I've gotten better at it because I've tried a lot over the years. But uh this one particular um, whitewater rafting, me kayaking experience. Um, I was, you know, going downstream, and they teach you how to do the roll on the kayak, and I just never quite got the roll the right way. And um, I was going down a rapid, and I, I came out down a rapid with, you know, my my body was underwater, and the kayak was on top, and then I rolled. I finally got the roll, and and I was heading downstream. And I was kind of losing control, and I saw what they call a strainer. And all a strainer is just a down tree that's on the river, and a lot of branches and debris get caught in there. The downside, the the thing is, you don't want to get caught in a strainer in your kayak because your kayak has different parts where it can get hooked on there. And even if you can, you know, try to wiggle your way out, you can get stuck, and then you end up under the water. And uh, I don't care how good a swimmer you are, you can't hold your breath for you know five ten minutes uh, unless you're a superhuman. And we're not. So uh, I was headed down to a strainer, and I couldn't quite roll <laughs> to get back to, to avoid the strainer in time. So luckily, I, ha- I had enough experience to just, you know, um, get myself out the uh, kayak and swim away right before it got to the strainer. Oh. And the kayak did get stuck. Whoa. Like the guides had to come, you know, wedge it out. Uh, I was fine. I, I swam to shore and, and got out just in time. But um, it would have been bad news if I got caught in there. So, um, and I could never, I couldn't get right up, I me mean, upright uh, to like you know paddle and, and get out the way of the strainer because um, I, I kept rolling upside down. So I swam the downstream for like half a half a half a mile, you know, underwater. So that that was fun. So <laughs> that was definitely crash three for me, uh, type of fun. Oh my goodness. <laughs> we yeah. took uh, we took our daughters and a bunch of their friends. Um, hiking and, and camping at Zion last year during the summer. And we went on this trail. It was the East Rim Trail. So it was a little bit out there. The drive was was a little longer. Um, and uh, it was July. So there were no there was nobody out there. It was quite lovely. We because, went out early because yeah. it was so hot. It was hot. And it was, you know, <laughs> pandemic. And so not as many people were out on the trails. And and uh, Laura and I were in the back of the, the pack and it was kind of a single track trail and we heard a scream up at the very front and right away I knew it was a snake and it, I ran up there and it was the biggest rattlesnake I have ever seen in my life. It was <laughs> uh, like six to seven feet long. It was huge. Um, and I thought she had been bit. Thank- thankfully she hadn't and it just, you know, slithered away. Uh, it, it certainly wasn't aggressive in nature at all, but, uh, that was, that was some class three fun for a minute. My heart, my heart was pounding and it's fun because, you know, we bring up these stories. It's funny to talk about them after the fact. And these are great campfire stories. This is by no means meant to, uh, dampen Deter. anybody's <laughs> interest in the outdoors. And the, but it is an encouragement to say, don't just go out by yourselves. Go out with somebody yeah. from the Sierra Club who knows what the heck they're doing. <laughs> Before we get to 
talking about SEMO and all the programs and the, the initiatives and the data and the research, which that is absolutely what we want to talk about. Uh, we want to help fill in the blanks and give a little context for our, our listeners uh, as to who you are and how you came to be in this, in the roles that you're in now. Uh, Lornette, do you mind starting for us? Hello to, uh, hello to the listeners out there. Uh, my name is Lornette Vestal, and I'll give folks the short um, biography. Um, um, so I am a U.S. Navy veteran, served 2001 to 2004, me five, um, during Iraq, Operation Iraq, Iraqi Freedom. I was deployed um, aboard the USS Cleveland. Upon getting an honorable discharge in 2005, I attended uh, Northern Illinois University and um, and then graduated there and got a degree in social work from the University of Chicago and worked in, in my hometown of Chicago for several years in, at Chicago Public Schools and with um, education, educational nonprofits for about several years. And my wife, I, I, I met a Southerner, <laughs> uh, Southern girl, and she didn't like the cold anymore. And she didn't like the winters in Chicago. So she was like, I got a job in Atlanta. Do you want to come with me? And, you know, we could I could have broke up and lived a single life again. But my mom really liked her. And, you know, people were all yelling at me because I was 30 already or 30, 31 at the time. So, like, I need to settle down. And, you know, I, I wasn't going to live the George Clooney life like I, 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 I imagined myself. But then George Clooney got married. So he, he, he my crutch was gone for me. So I had to settle Happens down. to the best of us. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I ended up moving to Atlanta. My wife was an environmental law attorney. Um, when I got down here, I was trying to look for jobs in education. And she kept telling me that environmental nonprofits were hiring. And I was kind of like, what, why would they want to deal with a bunch of idiot vets? Um, my words, not hers. Although she probably thinks that <laughs> <laughs> sometimes <laughs> when I break stuff or, or mess up something um, or try to fix something in the house and then it, it, it messes up and we have to call a real uh, contractor. But that only happened like once or twice, um, once to be exact. <laughs> but um, after six months of not being able to find anything, I, I finally listened to my wife's advice, which I should have at first. So I was wrong with that. I listened first time from now on. So hey, at least you learned. I learned. So that's that's a that's a that's a part of keeping a healthy marriage. And Absolutely. then um, I knew I knew about the Sierra Club, and I happened to see that the. They had a program called the Military Outdoors, and they were looking for someone here in the southeast because I had moved to Atlanta, Georgia from Chicago with my wife. And I applied, and kind of the rest is history. And that's how I, I met Aaron, who's my, been my coworker. We worked together for like four years now, Aaron, or five years? Five years now. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. That's wonderful. Well, and that's a perfect segue, uh, Lorna, into Aaron. Who, who are you? Where did you come from? How did you get to Sierra Club? Well, great to meet both of you, Keith and Laura. I live in Cold Spring, New York, which is the lower Hudson Valley, just north of New York City, with my partner, best friend, Leslie. Uh, Leslie and I have, between us, eight children in their 20s and 30s. So um, I'm in my 50s myself. I enlisted in the United States Army when I was 18 years old. I grew up in the Bay Area in, in California just outside of San Francisco. And uh, when I was 23, I was a sergeant, and I was a surveillance team leader in Desert Storm. Um, decided to stay in. Got my commission in 1996 through OCS, and then uh, eventually retired as a lieutenant colonel as an artillery officer, so I was a field artillery officer. Um, I have spoken to Navy pilots who were flying for us in the past. So maybe we had a conversation at some point, Keith. I don't know. That's possible. Uh, it's possible. Um, and as I approached the end of my retirement, or my end of my service, before I decided to retire, I was one of the the veterans or one of the, the service members who was, um, uh, you know, I was seeing a psychotherapist for post-traumatic stress, depression, anxiety. I became fairly non-functional. The Army gave me an opportunity to command an artillery battalion, uh, I turned it down and decided to retire because I didn't feel like I could keep doing what I was doing. But I did do 27 years, and I did deploy on four separate combat deployments, so I think I'd done enough at that point. 
And as I was getting ready to retire, you know, as a senior leader in the Army, you're always concerned about your soldiers, your subordinates, um, their health and well-being. While we train really hard to fight these wars that we've been in for a very long time, um, we don't always train to not be deployed or train to have a healthy lifestyle. So I felt that if I was going to be a leader in the veteran community, which I wanted to be, I might as well transition into a place where I could do that, which is how I got involved with the Sierra Club. Thank you both for sharing that. And and I just want to bring up something, uh, Lornette, that you shared with me the, the first time we spoke, that you, uh, when you left the Navy, you actually went to Costa Rica and built homes for a little while. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I did um, a summer working, well, volunteering for Habitat for Humanity. And I, I, I'm assuming that's kind of like my, my, my transition period from being in the military to becoming a civilian. And I was kind of having this conversation last night about, um, and, and Aaron, you can probably attest to this, and, and, and so can you, Keith. Um, but, you know, you, you're in the service, you go to boot camp, you know, you, you're, you're trained, you come from, to become civilian to soldier, airman, marine, sailor. I don't know what they call the, the Air Force folks. So, so, so we just call them Air space Force. cadets. Spa- <laughs> we call them space cadets. <laughs> I kid the Space Force if, they, if they're listening. But um, you go through that transition period, and not to mention as you get more um, into your rate or your job or, you know, job for civilian folks who listen to that, you do more technical training and as you move up in rank. So you got all these trainings and all this processing to become, you know, a, a model um, service member. And then kind of you get out and that transition, you, you take that, what I think they call them, the, the TAPS class. It's like two or three days. And, yep. and for those guys, it's like, you don't have to shave anymore. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> and that's it. And I'm thinking about kind of some of the indigenous communities and in, in, in nations that existed um, prior to colonization. And, you know, they would have, you know, humans always had wars and conflict, unfortunately. But what they would do with their warriors when they would return from that battle is they would, you know, kind of come together and decompress, you know, and, and share and, and, and kind of be in community with each other before we being released back into the civilian population so they can, you know, process their their time in service, um, for lack of better words. Um, and I think we kind of moved away from that as a, as a culture, despite <laughs> having so many um, conflicts over the over the years, especially, you know, since I've been an adult uh, Afghanistan and Iraq, but even when I was a kid, I remember Gulf War One. So mm-hmm. sorry, sorry to date you there, Aaron. <laughs> Lornette, so I, I just talking about the uh, the summer that you spent in, in Costa Rica, uh, you had mentioned that that was very significant to you in your transition story. And I wonder why that was so significant. What was so impactful for you there that helped you transition out of the military? Well, I think it kind of strangely enough prepared me for the work I do with the Sierra Club. It was the first time I ever went whitewater rafting. Um, we would take weekends where we'd go hiking up the you know countryside and checking out um, different villages and places in the uh, throughout Costa Rica. It's a beautiful country, very green, lots of mountains, lots of waterways, and swim in the ocean. Or you know, in the same day, you can drive and you can be hiking up a volcano. So it was it was kind of being out in those natural spaces. I, I didn't know at the time when I was technically healing through nature. And even the communities where we worked in, where we built houses for uh, those individuals who were less fortunate, it was still kind of surrounded by, you know, rainforest. So we were still pretty much out in nature. So lizards, lots of mosquitoes, giant flying, prehistoric cockroaches. All the fun stuff you see in see in Georgia or Costa Rica. <laughs> I, well, I've seen those same things down here in, in Georgia, and I'm like, this is not even. It's they, this state. The forest of park ranger came to talk to a group of vets I had on the on Chatta, um, yeah, Chattahoochee River, but the Chattooga River, and he's like, Georgia in the southeast is not considered a real rainforest. It's only like a temporal rainforest, and the real rainforests are further south. Hmm. And I was like, whatever. It rains a lot. Lots of crazy bugs. And mosquitoes are insane. So Aaron knows about that. He spent a lot of time in Georgia. Aaron, I um, have a question for you. Going back to part of your story that you shared, um, part of the reasoning why you got out was because you were 
processing some of your trauma um, that you had experienced through your time of service. Can you talk a little bit about um, how nature, if at all, has played a part in your healing? Uh, oh, absolutely. That's an easy one. So, uh, it's played a huge role. I'll just preface it with that. Um, I decided to retire while I was volunteering to lead a backpacking trip for some soldiers in Fort Bliss, Texas. And I was laying out on top of a mesa staring at the stars. This is about 2012. And for the first time uh, in six, seven years, I actually felt peaceful or joyful, like those feelings came back and I, I thought that what I'm doing right now is what I really want to do and what I've been doing is something I, I need to get away from. It took two years from there until I retired and uh, immediately after or just right around the time I was getting out, I started to spend more time um, outdoors with people in this field that I still work with today. Uh, it's how I got this job at the Sierra Club is through a chance connection on a trip with Outward Bound for Veterans. Um, but I would also say that I, I did not fully transition, I didn't complete my transition out of the military till last year, five years after I'd gotten out. Last year I actually took uh, myself to halftime. I was working only 20 hours a week remotely. I went on the road with Leslie and we traveled all over the country during the pandemic. It wasn't planned, it just happened to be a coincidence there. And uh, we spent an enormous amount of time outdoors together and having no uh, pressures or time constraints or any, you know, any of the things that you deal with when you live in a house or an apartment or in a community. We were just nomads. And during that year is when I was able to feel like I had made the turn and became more functional. And then at the beginning of this year, uh, you know, getting back full-time with Lornette and the rest of our team. Um, that was like the culmination of that whole experience. Nature every single step of the way. I, if Could you maybe explain a little bit about through that year, through that process? So I have so many questions. The first one is that it took five years for you to feel like you've actually completed the trans, trans, um, why can't I think of the word? Transition. transition. I almost said transmission, <laughs> which is not it, but transition. <laughs> So I think that there's something really wise about that that is often misunderstood, that the transition is a two-week tap class, and then you should be ready to go. You just explained it took five years of a process for that transition to take place. And you said, you know, last year it was when you felt like maybe you were able to get back into um back into your skin, if you will, um, as Aaron, as, you know, understanding what that all means. Um, and so can you talk a little bit about maybe how a five-year transition period might be more normal than what people might assume? Oh, I think there's a lot of reasons why. I think um, for me personally, uh, like many of my colleagues and peers that are still in or recently uh, retired or left, um, I started working in my new career, career, my new job full time while I was on terminal leave. So for those who don't know, if you have vacation time saved up at the end of your service, you can take that as terminal leave. So I had about three months of paid vacation where I just went to work. And that mindset of being a mission driven, uh, have to be producing something for the team nonstop was really with me. So I just jumped right from being a lieutenant colonel in the Army to being the executive director of a nonprofit in New York City that worked in the 9-11 community. And it was just as or more uh, busy and demanding than my time in the military. I gave myself no chance to pause and reflect. And uh, I'm certain everybody in this, you know, the four of us are all familiar with um, the support network that you should have when you're trying to process anything. And when you're, you're trying to process a career, uh, the change of taking that uniform off for the first time, for the last time, after 27 years, that's a, that's a big change. You know, you're really up in, in your life, your, uh, your income stream is different, um, your confidence in yourself is different. 
Uh, you're not so familiar. You don't have the same safety nets. I mean, in the military, you always have a chance to learn and grow. But in the civilian uh, workforce, um, that's not always the case, nor is a job ever guaranteed. So the pressure was different. And um, I never processed my experiences. I did, to some degree, with a, a therapist my last few years in. But it, it wasn't enough to cover everything. And I've only recently re-entered um, into uh, counseling through the VA, just in the past few months, actually, um, because I, I still have many things that are left undone. But I wasn't in a good place to process then. I wasn't in a good place with my ex-wife. I wasn't in a good place uh, with my career, because I was leaving my career. Uh, I wasn't ready to process anything. I did not give myself time. What I recommend to my colleagues, my friends now, who are approaching their own retirements, is that you got you got to plan for some serious time off to reflect, to get away, to de-stress, de you know, unplug, go to some place where you can just kind of think through things. Don't do it alone. Do it with your, your spouse or your partner or some friends, whatever it is, and just take that time to, to decompress and, and think about what you've just done. Because when, whether you do four years or 30 years, it's quite the experience. It's quite the ride, right? And Lornette's time in the Navy, absolutely different from my time in the Army. But I guarantee you that his time on deployments in the Navy was just as crazy as anything I experienced. It's it's fascinating to me. Uh, Aaron, your story is similar to mine in that I, I got out, I had some terminal leave, and I went hard after finding a job. And I took any job I could get because I was... I was scared I wasn't going to find a job and we'd be, you know, in my mind, probably out on the streets, which I knew we wouldn't be. Um, but the, the interesting thing about that is, is the, how, how much more important the decompression time is and the reflection time is than finding a job, which the transition process coming out of the military find a job is important i don't want to minimize that you have to focus on your next step but i think before you do that whether it's a week whether it's two months whether it's a year obviously it depends on the individual but you have to take the time to reflect and and to decompress and, I, and those two things are they're synonymous sometimes, but they're also, it's a different thing, which leads us now to, and certainly this is, that's a very broad stroke of, of both your backgrounds, but it, I really, we want to focus on what you're doing with the Sierra Club um, and how those, those efforts are, uh, are assisting veterans in their transition stories. Lorna, I'd love for you to start off with just your experience, um, what you're doing with the Sierra Club. Uh, and the impacts that you've seen through your through your efforts and your interactions with veterans. Yeah, so I've been with the club um, about almost six years. And when I started, we kind of had this focus on really big kind of adventure trips or what we call internally the rock star trips. So um, a week down the Green River, um, floating the Grand Canyon, which I still haven't done <laughs> myself. I uh, would love to do that one day. Um, going to the Arctic Wildlife Refuge. So I was kind of organizing around those trips. And, and the work has kind of evolved to do more local outings, to de be a little more equitable. Because, you know, even with veterans, you, you have folks who are hardworking and they have families. They can't take a week off. They can't take two weeks off. They can't take a month to, to go um be in the back country. Uh, even I wish everybody could, but that's just not the way um, many people's lives are organized. And and I get paid by the Sierra Club to do that, which is sometimes uh, I can't believe it. But um, but kind of the impacts that we've made. Um, one of the things is our goal is to kind of connect veterans to nature and each other. And what I've seen throughout the years of um, leading outings or organizing outings or seeing other people lead outings is the kind of friendships and that camaraderie that you kind of don't really have. It's not really, that's one thing I can say about the military. Um, one of the, the best things I can say is that camaraderie. Um, and the folks who join the military don't find it. It's, um, you know, depending on their experiences, uh, it's, it's unfortunate. But when you do find it, it's, it's nothing like it. 
Um, and you get to the civilian world, you kind of you don't see it because folks have their own things. Um, they you know people go to go home after work and they you know live their lives, and it's kind of hard to build that that teamwork. But I've seen that be rekindled on these outings where folks become friends um, mm. and, and connected and support each other. And and also what's even cooler is, is them supporting each other doing outings. So I had a group of volunteers that I worked with a few years ago and they were from the Carolinas and one of them got to trail, long distance trail running. So several of the veterans who've been on the outings would like come and go out to support her uh, on our trail runs, and, and I even went out there one time to kind of offer support and whip up some dinner late at night after she got done on the trail, and and just kind of you know you sit around and you talk you talk stuff about each other because you know you got folks from different branches and it's just just people so you know, people talk about their families their their kids their pets um, make jokes about you know folks being in the Air Force or or the Coast Guard. <laughs> get a lot of get a lot of navy jokes too. You know, everybody got you know, everybody has their everybody has their semen jokes. Um, I'm I'm assuming this is a PG podcast, so I won't get into some of the stuff we we say. But it's just a good time. It's just seeing folks build that community and also getting better. And uh, one thing that always sticks mm-hmm. with me is at their Green River trip, we got a um, an email from a, a spouse of one of the um, participants who joined us. And he was still, I think he was, he was still active duty, but he had took some leads to go on his Green River trip and bought his daughter. And um, he kind of was closed off, but by like day three, that kind of on the trail kind of opened up and was really, really excited and kind of, you know, uh, opened up from his shell. Um, and, and it, you know, his wife kind of just reached out to us and was like, I don't know what you all did with my husband, but this is the same person. <laughs> he's so happy and he's glowing and he's, he's, this is, you know, this has been a great, great experience for him and really, really kind of opened him up. So in that, that instance, I think like right then I might have saved not only a marriage, but, you know, he, he had a, a daughter. I mean, she was mm-hmm. about 20, so I don't think she's probably living at home anymore. But still, divorces can impact children, whether they're, you know, a grown children or or little kids or teenagers. Um, so maybe through this outing, we kind of saved this person's marriage. And they were able to get a peace of mind and, and hopefully um, lead outings themselves. Um, so those are some of the things I've seen as far as like how programs are connecting veterans to each other in nature and benefiting uh, for the benefit of both. So can you talk a little bit about some of your the programs that you do offer that are specific for and available to veterans who are transitioning um, or not and, and how someone listening might access some of those. So what Lornette was um, introduced what we used to do, which is these rock star trips where we would take a group of veterans who happen to have the ability to take one or two weeks off of their lives and travel to some remote place and do some type of epic event. It might be fly fishing in Yellowstone National Park or uh, exploring canoeing in the, in the uh, Arctic wild or... Um, you know, visiting some part of the, the U.S. that's got this iconic, um, you know, architecture going on. And, and Aaron, I'm sorry, really quickly, I always knew I wanted to be a rock star. Like the rock star you guys are talking about, that's the rock star I want to be. I want to go on those rock star trips. That sounds amazing. It is. It is, it is absolutely amazing. And, and we could do that all the time, and we would impact almost none of the population. Yep. Because there is 19 plus million living veterans today in the United States. Wow. And their average age is 65. Wow. And what we were doing uh, was rife with barriers to people being able to participate. Uh, Age barriers, race barriers, gender barriers, economic barriers. There's a long list. It's something we study uh, a lot about how to mitigate, how to identify and to mitigate barriers. And the more we got into that work of equality and inclusion in the outdoors and wanting to ensure that um, every, everybody in the veteran community had an opportunity to at least say yes or no to that, we had to change our focus. So we, the Sierra Club itself has a great outings program. And they're coming out of their uh, pandemic time, so we're starting to do outings again. I led an outing myself maybe three weeks ago. We had 40 people on it. Um, I led a backpacking trip over this last weekend. It was great, right? 
that's just me doing stuff here locally in my community as a volunteer. Um, professionally, though, Lornette and I are focused on how we can have the bigger impact. So uh, Lornette can share about his program that he's just taken over at the YMCA, which I feel has an enormous opportunity to do good. I myself focus on policy, education, uh, partnerships, coalition building, and I'm just now starting to run a coalition of outdoor military veteran programs in the U.S. for the Sierra Club, specifically to wrap our hands around those hundreds of organizations that do provide structured outdoor programming in a natural setting. But even then, Keith, when we talk about those programs, there might be three, four, five hundred of those programs. Nobody really, nobody really knows. But if, if we added up all the people who had a chance to participate, we would still see that we're only scratching the surface. Maybe 1% of the entire veteran population is able to participate in some way, which is, is not helping anybody. So I've shifted my professional focus over the past uh, six, eight months, really, since I came back off my, my time to reconnect with myself, on national level uh, coordination efforts to try to do a better job with those who are currently providing those experiences. And we can help connect people to many organizations. They're all over the country that are doing those things locally. But then also to, to affect public policy and legislation that would have greater outreach. And uh, I'll, I'll just close this, this response with um, we're, we're, we're preparing ourselves to, to inform a task force that's about to be launched at the VA within the next year or two, based on the pandemic, that's going to examine how to incorporate outdoor programs, including therapeutic models, models like we run, within the VA system, which in my opinion and our opinion will literally overnight create the world's largest outdoor program, period. And we don't, like it's such a big opportunity, we don't currently have enough trained and qualified outdoor leaders working right now in this country to meet the need that would be created if the VA was to follow through with what we think they'll do and adopt these outdoor programs within their system. You had mentioned sort of earlier, Lornette, that this work has potentially generational effects, and there's no better illustration of the generational effects by what the Sierra Club is looking at by creating um, and helping to protect um, the land here so that generations of people can not only heal through them, but also enjoy them um, and, and get involved in the protection and appreciation of them. And I love the direction that you're talking about, which is trying to not only connect veterans to that mission and purpose, um, but also um, individuals that um, don't normally get to Im get involved. Um, and I think that's a good segue, Lorna, to your work with the YMCA. Yeah, so um, kind of as Aaron mentioned earlier, um, my work has changed drastically. Well, not drastically, but a little bit over the last um, month or so, um, where we have been years in the making a collaboration with the YMCA, which obviously is a you know, not just a national nonprofit, but international. They're well-known. Um, they're always in local communities. And what our goal was is to build the Military Outdoors Program um, in partnership with YMCA uh, through our local Ys and with our local Sierra Club chapters. Because we have Sierra 50, no, we have 65 um, Sierra Club chapters um, across the country. And, not only, and then we talk about groups. We got about 400 local Sierra Club groups in every state and in every um, kind of um, territory. So we have, the, we, have the, we have the infrastructure. It's now just kind of putting those pieces in place where we can partner with the Y and run outings locally so, every, so we can reach even more veterans, more military families, more communities. Um, because you know, myself and Aaron running outings, we could we could run great outings or those rock star trips we talked about, and that would you know impact <laughs> you know a small, small, small point percentage of, of military and veterans, and and are not very inclusive. So my work over the years, I've, I've partnered with lots of um, veteran service organizations, special organizations that um, serve you know the 
what we don't think of as the traditional veterans, so um, women veterans, um, veterans of color, LGBTQ veterans, um, because one thing people don't know about the, the armed forces and the service is that any demographic you can think of that, you know, calls this, this country, this vast country home, has served in the military at one point or another. And we want to make sure that those outings are open to everybody and we can utilize the resources of the YMCA and also our greatest resource at the Sierra Club, which is our uh, volunteers through our local outings programs. But I think the resources of an organization like the YMCA, along with our, our, our large membership at the Sierra Club, can really get a lot of veterans outside and also focus on making sure that it's a diverse and inclusive group of veterans uh, that gets outdoors and, and family members too. Yeah, very good. Um, Aaron, what uh, I know you have, you had told me that uh, there were 28,000 veterans just in Bronx County alone, near somewhat near you, um, which is, if you're not familiar with Bronx County, um, you might not think about the outdoors uh, when you think about Bronx County. Is that correct? It's quite urban. That's correct. Yeah. So, um, so you actually have spent a lot of time focusing on that one area uh, to introduce people, spent 28,000 veterans, that's so many people, um, to introduce them to the opportunities of engaging and experiencing the outdoors. Uh, what has that experience been like for you? And, and what are you doing? Uh, what are the programs that you're offering with, with that group of veterans? Sure. So we, we saw an opportunity in, I would say, late 2018, early 19. We kind of knew that in the future we were going to be uh, shifting our priority into this this larger presence within the field. Um, you know, in short, the outdoor adventure and wilderness therapy fields in the United States have developed over a long period of time, 150 years or so those that work with the veteran community never were part of that development. They came mostly from post 9-11, goodwill, people trying to do something for returning uh, folks from Afghanistan and Iraq. So they, they didn't necessarily benefit from the long history of development within the larger professional field of outdoor adventure education and wilderness therapy or outdoor recreation or any type of program that uses the wilderness in its settings. So, for us to be working at that level, we needed to do some research, study some impacts, outcomes, uh, test some theories we had about uh, working with how hard it is to work with marginalized or how easy it can be to work with marginalized populations. So that's what drove us into that direction. So the idea behind working in the Bronx was uh, a couple of things. One, we really wanted to build out a women a women's veterans group. So. Uh, we did. We built a group, uh, an outings group of about 25 women who are all veterans, um, aging from their 70s down into their 30s, mostly from the, the uh, black community in the Bronx. So, you know, I'm talking about an older, like one woman in particular, an older 70-ish year old woman who was 20 years in as an MP a black woman who served in the army in the 60s and the 70s, right? So imagine the obstacles and barriers that she experienced while she was in. And then she moved home to the rocks, and she's been living there ever since. And she'd never once slept out under the stars. She'd never uh, sat around a campfire. She'd never gone fishing. She's done all those things now. She's even tried to ski. So the, the, the way that we went about creating that program, it wasn't me necessarily that went into that community. Uh, we attended some VA health fairs. We recruited some women that already were part of that community through the VA and their connection to the VA medical center and to the vet center. You're familiar with those that are in the system as well. Um, people that I still work with today at those two locations. And uh, she found somebody else who then we then trained them, both women of color and both uh, military vets, both in this case retirees. Uh, we trained them how to be outdoor leaders for the Sierra Club. They joined our team. And after they joined our team, then they organized other women from their 
therapy groups, their art therapy groups, their poetry groups, like all these things that they're already involved in through the VA. So we really partnered with the VA on that. And they came up with this idea of running these outings for about a year. That's all we did is whatever they wanted to do. So I didn't go in there and say, hey, you want to go backpacking? Because not everybody can do that. Not everybody wants to do that, right? I said, what do you want to do? And they picked it out. Um, and it was extremely successful. So the whole time we did that, we captured the whole thing. We did a case study. Because that case study is extremely valuable for the work we're doing now. There is no other case study on how to build an outings program for marginalized veterans in an urban environment other than the one that we did. So that's become very valuable. Uh, we did the same thing with, with uh, male veterans in the Bronx. That program I led, same type of people. Did great service to their country. Some of them draftees in the Vietnam War. Got in, spent two years, got out, went back to the Bronx. They haven't had the easiest life as an adult. The Bronx is the poorest county in the state of New York. It's uh, You're most likely to die of an opiate overdose in the Bronx if you're a black man than anywhere else in the state of New York, surrounded by some of the wealthiest counties, right? So when we went in there, like we went deep into the community and we we worked with individuals, veterans, who um, I felt would benefit most from the opportunity. But again, I had to work at where they were at. So what do you want to do? They don't want to sleep on the ground because they can't get up because they're in their 70s, right? They've, they've never gone fly fishing, so we went fly fishing. What a great experience because everything we did was on public lands using uh, materials provided to us by a partner organization. There was no cost. It was just an experience for people to be part of. Um, by the time a year had gone by with the group that I was leading, uh, the relationships that we established were fairly permanent. So the idea was to also examine, well, what happens if you run a community program that's always there for you? Like you could always look forward to the next event, not just a one-time thing, but over and over again. So with the women's group and with the, the men's group, we provided that opportunity. And what we found was uh, it was extremely effective. And everybody kept coming back for more. Not everybody wants to do this type of stuff, right? But for those who do want to get outside, uh, once they, they get a chance to get out there, and uh, they get a chance to come back again, they typically come back. So I know you're also very research driven in this, um, in your in your efforts and your endeavors. So what data do you have that supports the benefits of these activities and adventures for veterans? Well, we have, we have, we have quite a bit actually. Um, we're about to publish a research article in the Journal of Experiential Education that, that examined the measured outcomes from the trips that Lornette and I were leading. And that, again, that was done through the University of Utah. We have a research partnership with them. Um, and the researcher there is, <clears throat> excuse me, now expanding using the same data, looking at how these, these outings that we run uh, made it more likely that somebody is going to seek help. So what we found is that veterans who participate in our community-based peer-led programs um, essentially came away from that experience feeling better about themselves. Their overall health and wellness improved from that one weekend experience. But more significantly, I think, is um, the next article that we publish is going to show how that one short experience uh, reduce their reluctance to seek help. So it's a moment in time when you come off of that that outing that if you engage a veteran in the right way and encourage them to seek help for these untreated uh, psychological illnesses and injuries they may have, that they'll actually follow through with it and they'll go and make an appointment to see a therapist or a counselor, especially through the VA system because it's so easy to get into that program. So I'm curious, in your experience, the main your data, this is conjecture on the data, right? Your summary. How come those are connected? How come being oh. having those experiences in the outdoor opens pathways to get help? We had a couple of theories. So one of our theories was that in our program, uh, we run a, uh, 
what's called an outdoor adventure education model. It's a trained outdoor leader with a participant who's a willing participant, and there's a group that's formed. There's some type of outdoor activity in the natural environment, and we process that experience. So going into this last uh, study we did, and this was a longitudinal study where we collected data pre, post, three months, six months, and one year following. So it was a three-year-long study. We had 53 participants in our study. It was impacted by the pandemic, unfortunately. We had planned about to have uh, 100 participants, but we had to cut it short. Anyways, uh, we ran half our groups with uh, active processing and half with passive processing. We found no difference between the two. But I do think that that social, one, being in nature, two, getting a chance to step away from their their life at home, right? Um, and I've led about 100 trips like this, so I've seen this same thing over and over again. Because of the commonality of the participants, they connect very quickly, and they slip into uh, this very familiar relationship. And Lornette can probably describe uh, the same experiences in his trips that he's led. They slip into this comfortable relationship, and all of a sudden, they're receiving this emotional and social support that they may not have in their life at home. And they're able to talk and process in their own way, whether we guide them through that, that process or they do it just telling stories around the campfire. They're still talking about their experiences, and they're still learning how to be emotionally supportive of those that they're with. They're learning how to have empathy through what we model as leaders during those outings. And that whole experience, whether it's three days or five days long, seven days long, um, over and over again, we just measure the same positive results. The catch is, Laura, that if there's no continuity of care, if we don't provide opportunities to come back and experience this again and again, we see a rapid return to baseline measurements of anxiety and depression, post-traumatic stress, things of that nature. So we know that too. So what we're working on, again, like with the VA, is this idea of creating a permanent program that's always available. Mm -hmm. Or even with our own outings, creating a way so people can come back over and over again. I myself, to try to examine this a little further, I'm the program director for a local veterans group in the county I live in. Uh, either myself or one of my um, colleagues at this organization leads an outing of some kind three times a week. And they're always in the same days at the same time. And we have coming close to 25 people that regularly participate. So this group has become pretty bonded. We, we've done oh, at least 80 outings since spring. There's a lot of opportunities for people to get outside and go for a hike. We have a hike on Saturday. I'm thinking there'll be 15 people there easy, like to get that another, another dose of nature and time together. Yeah. We, we interviewed a gentleman recently who was able to process his um, trauma from service by walking across the United States. And there, his um, experience, I think, is similar to kind of what you're talking about. It's the combination of the pause of the everyday life, being with your thoughts, in reintroducing yourself to your thoughts, and nature is the perfect platform or container um, for that to to happen. Um, and then processing with others um, as well and hearing stories, which is why we do this podcast because it's storytelling. You find your story in others so you don't feel as alone, um, but connected to something bigger. And that's what nature provides people is that connection piece. It's wonderful. How does Sierra Club stay in business and how can we ensure that it does that you guys continue doing this great work? Well, I think uh, kind of, uh, you know, podcasts like this, just kind of putting the message out there, uh, letting folks know what we're doing and knowing that even though our program is called the Military Outdoors, um, one of my goals um, of leading outings and, and bringing is bringing folks together. So, you know, we do have some outings that, you know, our leaders design that are for vets only in, in certain type of vets. So it could be all women vets, et cetera, et cetera. However, um, I'm always open to the larger 
outings where you know folks just come out and and, and they can be civilians or they can be military families they can have a, a family member who's in the military they could be in a relationship with someone who's in the military they got friends who are in the military and they want to just join and, and give back and lead outings so our program we try to make it open to everybody obviously with our focus um, being on military and veterans but all folks are welcome and what i really really like about our program um, is you, you don't have to <laughs> You don't have to just be a combat veteran or, you know, have a Purple Heart or be a SEAL or be one of those crazy armed people who jumped out of perfectly good planes. Um, all veterans, all service members, reserve, whatever, are all guardsmen, guards people, are all welcome to join the military outdoors outings. So it's it's not it's not restrictive. We're not we're not an exclusive club. We're trying to be an inclusive club. Nice. And if if I wanted to be part of the SCMO I wanted to to uh experience the um adventures that you have to offer how how might I go about getting involved and figuring out what's around me that I could participate in the the preferred method uh Keith is that you join the Sierra Club and there's typically a local group near you and if you're interested in running outings that Sierra Club chapter and group can train you in our outings leader training. So we certify our own outings leaders to lead trips, mostly uh, relative to um, leadership skills and, and risk management. And then it's up to you. If you want to lead trips that's for veterans, then it, it's an entrepreneurial position where you can take it as far as you want or you could do nothing with it. It's, it's really up to the individual. Uh, Lornette and I don't have a like we're not a guide service, so you can't come to us and join our team and then uh, work with us because that's not what we do. We work at a different, you know, a, an upper level in this field. But all of our chapters have outings programs, and every single one of them would absolutely say yes to somebody willing to run trips for veterans. In our outings leader training, we have supplemental material that's designed for people who want to lead outings for veterans. And it's designed to help them understand a couple of skills and some get some knowledge around the military-civilian divide, so really understanding what it means to be a veteran in the United States. You don't have to be a veteran to run outings for veterans. And you don't have to run outings only for veterans. Like, I run trips for veterans, first responders, and their families. Any age, any ability level, that's, that's what I want to do. So it's outings for anybody. So anybody from those groups is who I focus on. Um, other people uh, want to do something more rigorous, so they might just have uh, outings that are offered for able-bodied veterans. That's fine, right? I have a, a colleague who wants to run outings focusing on veterans who are coming out of uh, the prison system and trying to re reintegrate into civilian life. So it's, the, it's uh, you know, your imagination is the limit there. Um, and we also teach our volunteers who want to work with veterans, how to process experiences. So we have uh, a module within our audience leader training that's for processing. So you can meet one of those, you know, all six of those uh, requirements that I met earlier. If if I, as just Joe Schmo veteran, wanted to just participate, so the starting point is uh, join the Sierra Club, and then through that process, they would uh, I would be able to navigate my way to a local chapter and get involved that way uh, with uh, the military outreach programs. Is that correct? Every uh, chapter and group, all of them, has an out somebody we call an outings chair. And that person is connected with everything that we're doing and has access to all of our resources that we've created. Um, it's a very well-connected organization when it comes to standards around outings leadership. Lordette? Yeah, and I was just going to say, you know, depending on where you're at, whether you're in California, Maine, Montana, or um, down in Florida, you can go to our Sierra Club. Whatever state you're in, city you're in, you can go to that local Sierra Club chapter, and you can go to the website, and under outings, you know, you can even check it out on your phone. They should have a list of local outings. You can even sign up for one of those, even before you become a member of the Sierra Club, to just get a taste um, and if you like it, you keep coming back, become a member. Then we'll work with them to train you to be 
an outings leader, and then you can start running outings yourself. Or, you know, you can just be a participant and, and bring more people along to uh, those local outings. Uh, so we got 400 groups across the country, and we got 65 chapters. So um, we're out there. <laughs> One last thing before, before we wrap up, um, because both of us, uh, both you, and Lorna, and Aaron, have talked about the importance and the value of equity and inclusion as it relates to the outdoors and how um, even in the veteran population, I think Aaron, you had told me when we, when we talked previously that, you know, 1% basically has been able to participate and enjoy the outdoors. And most of that 1% are, are white people. Um, what is the value that you've seen through your work in, in bringing equity and inclusion to the veteran population as it relates to the experience with the outdoors? I guess for me, it's more about kind of, you know, as a, as a veteran, you, you take a, uh, you swear oath to defend uh, the constitution and, and, and at one time the land that we defend the United States. So it should be all people who, you know, are from here, should be able to enjoy those outdoor spaces and that, you know, it should also feel included. So our goal has been to make our outings more inclusive and, and try to bring in different groups of people and, and make them feel welcome uh, because we're just one big fat, happy family. Also, the larger Sierra Club mission is to enlist the whole of humanity to enjoy and explore and protect the planet. So uh, we can't do just do that with a small percentage of people. We need to get enlist all people um, because at the grand at the end of the day um this is the only home we got so we got to take care of it i love the thought of uh i mean you know when we serve together we serve like lornette you talked about we serve with an entire cross-section of society that makes up our military um and i think sometimes unfortunately when we leave the military we go back to a a somewhat homogenous section of society and and we don't get to interact with each other um, like we did in the military and the value that that I know that brought to my life the diversity of people and and friendships that I had and experiences I had with those people I cherish um, and, and still value those relationships and I love the thought of being able to bring all those people out into enjoy the land that they with their blood sweat and tears defended is so powerful i love that i love that connection that loop thanks for sharing that um before we close we'd love to just give each of you the floor and aaron we'll start with you on just your final i'm not going to call it a plea but maybe an encouragement to veterans who are listening this to this podcast and are thinking about maybe or maybe not getting involved in, in the uh, military outreach program and, and maybe why they, why it would be a good idea for them to do so. Sure, Keith. Uh, I would encourage any veteran or any member of the military, especially those that are going through that transitional period from, you know, what they're doing now to hopefully a healthy and purposeful civilian life to strongly consider being part of their community and um, engaging in the outdoors on a regular basis and developing an appreciation for what we all have right now and what we can have in the future if we learn how to take care of it. It's been very beneficial to me and I know it's been very beneficial to my colleagues and uh, it's the one piece of advice that I now give to everybody to, to make time for that healthy transition and remember that the systems of, of ecology that we live in are extremely important to understand and be part of. Uh, organizations like ours and others can definitely help you to, to reach out and, and be more in touch with those those different systems. And Lornette, how about you? Yeah, just for any any veteran looking thinking about kind of ways to get involved, um, the first step is just putting yourself out there, um, even if it's something that, you know, You've never done before, whether that's going a hike or just kind of getting re reacquainted with the the veteran community. Because um, I, when I got out, I, I was not. <laughs> I, I separated myself from the, the veteran community. Um, I went to college and, and kind of was in that space in grad school, and really just 
only recently over the last several years reconnect with the veteran community, not just um, with my professionally, but even personally um, reconnecting with uh, friends and, and men, men and women I serve with. So sometimes we can isolate ourselves and just kind of be in our own little bubbles and that's fine, but also that can also be isolating and, and you can be lonely and we all know what that breeds, uh, especially if you're dealing with, you know, PTSD, uh, insomnia, um, anxiety, depression. Um, being lonely is never a good thing. Um, and, or just, you know, kind of unleashing out on your family. So, <laughs> just you're close to. So, I, I say the best bit of advice is put, put yourself out there. Um, and there are, you know, you're not alone. And there are a, a whole community of veterans like you. Thank you to Aaron and Lurnette for sharing their stories of service and about what they're doing with Sierra Club now. Thank you to all of our listeners and especially on this Veterans Day in 2021. Thank you to those who have served and are serving. We appreciate your service. For those of you that are interested, we encourage you to get involved with the Sierra Club. Look it up. Uh, participate. Donate. There are so many great programs and ways to get involved and invest in the future of our land here um, and connecting veterans with it. SierraClub.org. Donate button on the right. You may even get to come hug a bot with Laura and I (laughs) and sift through trash with bears. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Until next time, be well. On your journey.